0: This is The Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Today is May 23, 2023. I am here with the very legendary Simon Belanger. Good sir, we are more than half way sold out of our meetup on July 7th. This is the Canadian investor podcast meetup in downtown Toronto on July 7th. That is a Friday evening. It's three hours. The link is in the podcast description. We are more than halfway sold out. So if you're listening to this and you want to come and you're available to come in T.O. that night, do it before they're gone. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. I think
1: it'll be fun. My hotel's already booked, so I'm excited. Uh, excited to see people there.
0: It is uh, just thirty bucks and comes with drinks and food and the venue. And we're just we're just trying to get our our dough back. Uh, this is not a uh, hyper profitable endeavor. I can promise you that. Um, all right, let's kick it off today. We are talking about um, tech layoffs and update on the private markets since I thought it was quite relevant. The AI predictions and uh, this U.S. debt ceiling, which has become probably the most annoying buzzword on uh, financial Twitter, (laughs) maybe of all time. Yeah, I know the debt ceiling. So I'll go into a bit
1: more detail what's going on with the debt ceiling, not to make too much of it, but definitely um, I'm not making many moves regarding that. I just made one move, which People, when I explain it, they'll probably understand why I did that move. It's pretty logical, but uh, we'll get there a bit later in the podcast. So in terms of tech layoff, I had done this. What was it? I think it was at some point in January. I had looked at the uh, website. So it's layoffs.fy. It's actually that's the that's the lane for people interested and what I'll be doing as well is I want to share my screen just to show people here what it looks like in terms of uh, the layoffs and I'm still getting to getting used to the the share in terms of the new software we're using but people will be able to look so if you go on that website there's different views that you can look at you can look by companies by layoff little asterisks here it may not look like it's accurate it is actually accurate because what they do is they essentially there's different uh, rows for example a meta who did two sets of layoffs or i think it might even be three by now so there's going to be different rows so this i just sorted in terms of the per layoff the biggest amounts just to give people an idea and then you have these charts here that give you an idea of the tech layoffs in 22 2023 Um, all that to say that it's not looking you know the year has been pretty uh, rough in terms of tech layoffs it's not been the the best for people and i'll just stop sharing here because i can go back to my notes Um, so there's been one hundred eighty six thousand layoffs in 2023 for q1 alone that's compared to 84 000 4 of 2022 and if we're looking at q1 2023 alone that's more than all of last year as a whole and q3 it seems to uh q2 sorry it seems to have slowed down a little bit they're their tally 31,000 layoffs. But obviously, I'm not sure if that will pick up throughout the year. One thing that we've talked before is tech companies now, especially the big ones, right? Because I took... Uh for the people seeing my shared screen for the video, you'll see that a lot of the top 10 layoffs are all the big tech companies. So Google, Meta, Amazon, Microsoft, uh, Ericsson, Salesforce. So these are some of the largest companies that are trying to be more efficient because they're seeing growth slow. So they're trying to be, at least keep the profitability to where it is. And we we talked about it with... Uh, Mark Zuckerberg sometime backwards the year of efficiency and it seems to have spilled into the broader space as a whole.
0: Once it's uh once a few dominoes fall from these big tech companies, they no longer have the PR risk of being first. And Mr. Elon Musk decided to step up to the plate first as Massive layoffs hit Twitter. And then it seemed like basically from that point on, all of the big tech companies no longer had to be first in the press. And, and you think this doesn't matter in their decision-making? Trust me. It it absolutely does because this is an, this is you know, these are people's lives is their livelihood is their career. And so layoffs is never, um, you know, something you want to be in the news for. So, once that has fallen, we've seen tons. And one thing that I'd like to, to to add here is two pieces of optimism is one, there is a good chance that if you got laid off from one of these tech companies and you're listening to this podcast, first of all, I'm very sorry. I'm wishing the, the best for you. But here are two pieces of optimism for you. OK, one is you are now you now have one of the best resumes like you're in the top one percent of resumes. On planet Earth. And two, your skills are extremely valuable almost anywhere in almost every organization that is looking at digital transformation as a top priority. And what I'll say is number three is if you were at one of these large companies, chances are you got a pretty nice exit package far up and above what is the legal law and what is like expected for most large companies. And so maybe you have quite a little bit of runway to do things that you've always wanted to do, take that trip that you've always wanted to do or try a, starting a company. Uh, you know, this is the a downturn is when the most amazing companies are built Because typically, there's not a lot of funding available, so you're forced to be profitable right away. Uh, Two, you have a large amount of people that are now highly skilled and available in the workforce. Because if you're building a company, and the talent is being competed for not only by you building a startup, but also Google, Meta, Amazon, it's really hard to convince people to not take a 300k total comp and, you know, work at one of these companies to come join your startup and make dirt and ramen as their annual salary, <laughs> right? Like, so those are three things to think about, like, if this has affected you and, uh, and how to be optimistic about this, because there are, in my view, honestly, I'm not just saying this more pros than cons here.
1: Yeah, and I think I'm a big believer of trying to make the best out of a bad situation. And clearly, whenever I talk about layoffs there, I try to look at it more from an investing perspective. But of course, when people are affected, obviously, there's still the human side behind it. But yeah, generally, I think my motto is just trying to take situations that, you know, at first may be hard to take, really difficult. Obviously, if you're a good employee, uh, for a lot of people, it'd be a hard thing for their ego, for example, to be let go, especially if it's the first time. But, you know, take some time. You know, you can take a couple of weeks. There's no way, no need to rush, right? Oftentimes, you know, taking a week or two, just calming down and, uh, you know, not saying anything you wouldn't you know, you wouldn't want to be out there um, like the Maple Leafs doing, uh, you know, press <laughs> conferences when they're right fresh of being eliminated. Uh, sorry, I had to take a little jab there. It was hey, too I, easy.
0: That's okay. It was it was ripe for the taking.
1: Yeah, but I think it's just a good, you know, a good reminder. You can make good out of bad situation. Even if you don't start your own business, if you go to another job, if you're receiving severance and another job, you know, that could be an opportunity to almost set you up for life, right? You if you make the right decisions, you can invest the money. Um, uh, you know, if you're not too lavish, if you actually make some smart decision, actually you might be better
0: off in the long term. That's right. What do they say? One one door closes or another one <laughs> What's this? Yeah, something It's such a cliche, like cliche saying yeah, and I'm well... still butchering it. Let's uh let's talk about an update on private markets because this is related, you know, we're in this downturn, right? Like who's, who's ringing the bell that it's a recession. Meanwhile, uh, big tech companies march on to, uh, I was hoping you'd have a more positive
1: segment, but it's kind of hard right now. There's a lot of (laughs) negative
0: negativity out there. Well, I just said the three keys to positive thinking here, Simon, um, private markets. Okay. So we talk about Public companies, 99.9% of the time on this show, um, if not 100. But it's still interesting to see what's going on with private funding and deal flow in venture capital specifically. Um, And so I'm not talking really about private equity here, but more so venture capital. It is not isolated because the VC world, venture capital world, often uses public company comps. And it's also a reflection of the amount of, you know, risk on money available flowing in the system ready to be deployed. Just look no further than the deposit growth at Silicon Valley Bank over the past 10 years. Look no further before the blow up. You can see it basically go exponential Um. Hyper low interest rates saw venture deal flow go mental, grow rapidly through the 2010s. You get these kind of like historic firms, the ones that backed the early, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, Web2 winners. And a lot of it went bust uh, in, in the fall of 21, not only in deal flow, but also private and public market valuations. Of venture scale, hyperscaler growth companies. And according to Crunchbase, I was looking at their latest report that covered the first quarter of 2023. Global funding in the first quarter reached 76 billion, marking a 53% decline year over year from 162 billion in the first quarter of 2022. Now, that's interesting because The first quarter of 22 was also down, (laughs) you know, year over year. So um this is including the 10 billion investment into open AI and the six and a half billion round for for Stripe. So if you back that out, you basically have you back out the six, back out the yeah, like sixty billion uh for the quarter. So it's it's really a lot like two deals that drove a significant portion of this spent. Um, so every funding stage here, quote from Crunchbase, every funding stage last quarter was down forty four to fifty four percent year over year. A clear signal slowdown is not confined to late stage funding. Investors across each day, each stage scaled back as they took time to us. Assess new investment opportunities while guiding existing portfolio companies. I've talked to handfuls of VCs over the past month or two. It seems like just the sheer number of deals is dramatically down from their usual usual deal flow per year. Um, So we'll see what happens. Of course, these things are very cyclical. You have rates go from basically zero to where they are today. You have risk on money going from whatever to, okay, maybe I should be a little bit more cautious, all in the span of basically fall of 21 till till today.
1: Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, even for venture capital, right, it has to be worth They're a while even more so when you can get 5% on your deposits, whether you go through, you know, you have preferential rates at certain banks or you go through money market funds. So it makes all the sense in the world, right? Why should they risk in a company that, you know, there's a low likelihood of success versus having that guaranteed rate of return? Obviously, they still do to some extent, but they're probably much more selective and, I would say yeah they're probably they're probably more strings attached I would guess as well.
0: Yeah, like you can't just raise venture debt like you did a few years ago. <laughs> like it's the economics fall off quite significantly. Now this is not the death of venture capital. Uh without a doubt it is certainly not, but it is a step down from what i will call maybe peak euphoria
1: yeah i would agree with that i mean it's pretty it's kind of funny right the graphic that you showed is um uh, that you have on the notes here it basically shows peaking around q4 i guess q1 was still quite high and then you have the interest rate raises that start happening and then you see the significant decline and now it's kind of leveling off
0: yeah, and there's probably a quarter or two of delay between, like you know, you, you sign a term sheet in November of Q4 21, and that closes in Q1 22 when Crunchbase captures this this deal flow. So it, it's really it, it really starts to show up in the numbers in Q2 of 22. Um, the positive here uh, is that if you look sequentially, Q3 22. Q4, 22, and the most recent Q1 of 23 has been stable. It's been actually flat at around $60 billion each quarter, um, or a little bit higher, close to 75 ish It's hard to tell from this scale. So that's, you know, <laughs> we'll take what we can. Uh, we'll, we'll find uh, one, one piece of positive news at the end of this segment as well, which is that it's been... Relatively stable here, finding, uh, finding a base at about $75 billion of deal f- volume uh, since Q3 of 22. Yeah, no,
1: exactly. Uh, now we'll move on to the next segment. You talked about it. So the U.S. debt ceiling, which seems to be what uh, yeah, all major financial
0: websites uh, just can't get enough on. <laughs> remember remember my, my disdain for the word unprecedented do you remember that? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is the new this is the new one. This is the new word they use at the top of every single financial site.
1: Yeah, and I mean there is i've been reading quite a bit on it so there is some differences and some similarities so i'll go kind of over just to give people a bit of an overview of what's going on uh, probably a bit more nuanced than what you'd read in terms obviously the headlines so obviously um the u.s debt ceiling and you know in the u.s they're on track to reach that ceiling most likely around June 1st, which seems to be what Janet Yellen uh, is saying. Janet Yellen, who is the Secretary of the Treasury of the U.S. Now, what's been happening is Kevin McCarthy, who's the Republican Speaker of the House, and Joe Biden have been negotiating uh, to come to terms so that they can raise the debt limit. Uh, essentially, there is a debt limit. It has to be agreed upon. Um between the house and the president and republicans are looking for spending cuts while democrats would rather minimize spending cuts and then increase taxes so th- those are kind of the two camps republicans control the uh the house so uh, the democrats control the senate and obviously joe biden's a democrat as the u.s president in the past american politicians have always been able to come to an agreement however there's always been some It's always been kind of last minute type of deal. Um, There's also an option that Biden could use and to say that the debt ceiling is actually not constitutional based on the 14th Amendment. However, there is a time constraint related to that, and it would most likely be challenged in court as well by the Republican, most likely ended up in the Supreme Court. So it's not clear whether that's an actual option or not. I don't want to get into politics here. It's just the fact that that's essentially where the two sides stands right now. And from all projections I've seen is a default by the U.S. would be it really depends on the length of the default. If it's just one day and then they come to an agreement, there's most likely not going to be too many major consequences however it could impact the trust that other countries and foreign investors do have in u.s treasury so that's always one of the things that could happen even if it's a you know very short-term default or a technical default where it's you know some of the obligations are not paid but it's not a full-fledged default which would mean that the u.s is simply not um you know, paying any of its obligations. What I think is a bit more alarming this time, and it's hard to put your pulse on it, is there's a lot of polarization in the US. Uh, so, re- rep- Republicans and Democrats. Um, I'm not a political expert, but it does seem like it's as polarized as it's ever been. And there almost seems to be that either party. I don't know if they really want to come to an agreement or not. They all like it. I almost get the impression. I don't know if uh, the same for you, Brayden, but it's almost as if they're OK with not getting an agreement so they can blame the other
0: party. Well, that's that's the game, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, which that, would that's, be- that's the you know, that's what they should just teach in politics. One one.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, so I don't know whether to some extent they're bluffing or not. But regardless, I mean, the optics are not great right now. But I think most people do expect that there will be a deal and they will be able to raise the debt ceiling. Hopefully, each side can actually come to some sort of agreement, you know, make some concessions that are acceptable to both of their parties. We'll have to see there's not that much time left. There's about a week left as of this recording. So for me, I'm not really changing any of my investments because you know if there's a major default long term there's gonna be some major economic uh, pain on the world but also obviously the us but on the world as well so like i said the longer it lasts the worse it's gonna be i've read a few papers on what economists think it could mean the only thing I changed for my portfolio is I had put my cash, if you'd like, in my TFSA that I'm ready to deploy if I want to into this ETF, uh, ticker BIL, which is one to three months U.S. treasury bill. The reasoning behind that was that it's backed by the U.S. government and I'd rather have that there versus depositing at a bank where it's not CDIC insured with things like PSU, uh, which is a U.S. savings accounts ETF, but seeing that uh, it's getting closer and closer i decided to actually change my mind there got a five dollar you know a trade cost with uh, quest trade and i ended up buying back psu i think just the fact that you know there is a non-zero chance that it could default i think to me uh, not having my cash tied to US treasuries made the whole you know whole lot of sense so that's the only change i made for the rest of my investing portfolio i haven't made any changes so that's how i'm kind of approaching it
0: next up we have your your segment here but oh, yeah, the my reason segment. <laughs> that the reason that i waited is because my follow up segment is builds off this so if you want to go again uh, okay. it'll make sense very shortly Okay. No, sounds good. So uh,
1: basically, I want to give you props because obviously you made a good prediction in terms of your bold prediction for AI and how there would be a lot of hype. And I think, what did you say? Would Did you say there would be almost a bubble forming? I can't
0: recall your exact uh, bold prediction. I'd have to check back, but it was basically there will be a bubble in artificial intelligence, mostly in private, but also in publicly listed AI stocks.
1: Yeah, so I'll just give a few numbers here just so people can actually wrap their heads around it and then I'll show a graph on Stratosphere which kind of shows all the name so people can, you know, have a visual idea as well. So I... ETF Q2UM is an interesting ETF. It has names like Nvidia, AMD, ASML as their top holdings. The ETF currently is up 14% versus 5% for the S&P 500 SPY, which is obviously the one that most people kind of track when looking at the S&P 500. And that's over the last six months. Why six months? That's pretty much when ChatGPT and ended up uh, getting a whole lot of hype. I think it came out. Well but in November, if I remember correctly, just around that time, right? Oh, wow.
0: Now I'm all our uh, I think it was. No. Yeah, it was in the was fall, it? right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was in the fall. Pretty sure of that. Yeah. It seems like so much more recent, but okay. nah, I, you go look I'm going yeah, to okay. find the, the launch date. So I'm still pretty
1: confident on my six months. November 30th, 2020. Okay, there you go. So that's almost like six months to to the day there. Very close at least. So QQQ, which is the uh, NASDAQ, um, the power shares is up 17% during that same time period. Actually doing better than the Q2UM that I talked about. Uh, You can make a case. The big reason for that, it's because it's being pulled by names that have been pretty hyped up. Well, not hyped up, but let's just say they've had AI tailwinds like Microsoft, Google, NVIDIA, and Meta. Microsoft is up 30% over the last six months, which obviously its investment in OpenAI, NVIDIA is up 89% over the last six months, which is just insane. Wow, you know, it's uh, most semiconductors are actually doing all right, but it's kind of crazy that Nvidia, NVIDIA is up so much. And since Google announced on May 10th that it was making BART AI available in more than 180 countries, excluding Canada, obviously, it is up more than 16% since that day. So um, I just wanna say congrats. That's, uh, that's pretty well done. And I'll actually just share my screen here um, one last time so people can actually uh, see a
0: visual um, representation. I don't know this company, but the company is called C3.ai. Yeah. I don't, I don't really I've know. I've heard of they, it,
1: but I'm not very know what familiar. They
0: do. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what they do. But here's, here's the thing it actually doesn't matter. Because the ticker is AI. (laughs) So (laughs) the stock is up 143% year to date.
1: Yeah. And if you're looking here at the uh, graphic I was talking about, and uh, yeah, my apologies for the tab here was looking a little funky. But um, so the bottom line here is actually the S&P 500. So I have here the Q2UM ETF. Microsoft, QQQ, SPY, and NVIDIA. So you see that over the last six months, looking at total returns, although most of them don't pay much of a dividend or none at all, uh, you're, you're seeing the names perform quite well, actually crushing the S&P 500, which you can make a case it's being pulled down by other sectors, but I figured I'd show that to people because it's actually um, makes a little more sense and
0: put things in perspective here. Well, I was talking about return decomposition last week, right? Where it's like, if if you don't include big tech, NVIDIA, and Tesla, and AMD, you are flat year-to-date on the S&P 500. Like, yep. in terms of the top 20 contributing almost all of the return decomposition. Look, NVIDIA is an interesting one, right? Where it's like, last year, when the stock was getting on, on a pretty serious drawdown, um, which, you know almost every growth name was on. I, I thought it looked quite interesting, but I couldn't get there on valuation. <laughs> that was then. That was 90% ago. Um, look, NVIDIA could very well grow into its valuation of the, over, the past, over the next 10, 15 years if everything goes right. But you are tossing out value Uh, You are tossing out margin of safety so far out the window with many of these names. And and that's fine. Just be aware of that. You know, like there cannot possibly be a margin of safety on these names uh, trading at bajillion times free cash flow. So uh, we'll we'll see how this plays out. There obviously are some category winners here in the space. Uh, on, in the infrastructure and with Nvidia being the clear-cut winner here in the terms of the most advanced t- advanced chips just from open AI alone they have mil- they have billions and billions of, of revenue that's going to be unlocked with orders that they have on back order because like each GPU is like 30 grand or something it's like insane so um they can flex price. they have a lot going for them that the market I think has far surpassed in terms of being priced in, I could very well be wrong. But you need everything to go right for the stock to work from here. That's my take.
1: Yeah. And I mean, the company, I didn't realize it's like worth 750 billion. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I think Nvidia is a good company, but I'm not sure if it's worth 750 billion. But uh, yeah, no, I I hadn't
0: realized how much of a run up it (laughs) It's been insane. And and you got to give the company a lot of credit. Like Jensen, yeah. the CEO, like, dude, the guy's an absolute killer. Like, he even just looks cool. Like, he walks around with his slick leather jacket and he's just the man. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm all in on that. I think that it's a great company. But as an investor, you have to recognize everything has to go right from here to make money. And maybe it does. But that's the margin of safety completely out the window. All right. So... Thank you, sir, um, for for the recognition. I don't I don't get as many bold predictions right as you are. I have a couple thoughts here. I'll say, yes, we can chalk it up into the wind column probably by mid-February there. That there's obviously a bubble forming. The hype is certainly overwhelming and it finds its way into even the most casual of conversations. And I know that without a doubt, there's a bubble forming in public AI stocks and, and, and venture deals too. History doesn't repeat itself but it does rhyme. So that's happening. What I will counterpoint this with is when I first made this prediction, I hadn't given enough time to play around with it, let alone build, I've built an AI company in this time frame um, with FinChat. So where I was skeptical was about how fast there would be until there is defined utility of this technology. And oh boy, there is certainly defined utility that is obvious and people are seeing value in it every single day in the in the hundreds of millions of people. Um, now, the progress and advancements of potential AI assistants and agents already this calendar year is alarming. Like the rate of change has far surpassed what I thought would be possible. And so where there is certainly a lot of built-up air in a bubble in terms of valuations, the underlying technology is just so, so amazing. Um, So I'd like to say that. Like, I wouldn't be pursuing it so intensely career-wise if I didn't come to that conclusion a few months ago. With FinChat, we recognized right away the ability to turn extremely unrefined thoughts into beautiful outputs. You turn natural language into amazing outputs with, with Finchad on the plus you can actually just say, provide me a list of stocks that meet criteria X, Y, Z, A, B, C, and it'll produce that for you using GPT-4 and the, the data from stratosphere. So that's amazing. You turn like really natural language, unrefined thoughts to beautiful outputs. Um, I just tried, I'm very skeptical of some of the GPT plugins. I think that there some of them are quite bad. I just used the GPT plugin where it connects to the internet, and I said, "Tell me who Braden Dennis is." And it got like 99 of it really well. It links to my LinkedIn profile. It says I, you know, I'm, I'm the founder of Stratosphere. I'm an investor who hosts, you know, the Canadian Investor Podcast. When I, I started investing, when I was 18. And I decided to make a leap into building businesses. That's all very true. I'm pretty sure that must be transcripted from the po- from the podcast or something because, like, even the language there is like how I would say it. But it also says I'm a principal investor at Allianz, the uh, the German company. Oh, <laughs> well, that's news to me. Where it came up with that is so. Confusing because I have no idea. That's not documented anywhere, and it doesn't actually. It says it, it's it actually sources my LinkedIn profile as how it came up with that, which is obviously not correct. And this is an example where it hallucinates with such confidence, you know. Like, and, and that's where I really want to build something that doesn't do that. And that was kind of the the genesis for FinChat and like having it like as your financial assistant that provides the actual data to back it up in a table and in a chart, because every other tool today hallucinates with confidence. And that's terrible. Like <laughs> at least hallucinate with like, I'm pretty sure this is right, but it doesn't do that. It, it, it does it with complete confidence. So there's still a long way to go. Uh, I'll round this out with saying that there's certainly a bubble forming with, with valuations, but History has a keen ability to repeat itself. It does this with almost every sort of groundbreaking innovation and technology that changes vast amounts of, you know, products that serve horizontal markets. It, like, this happens time and time again, so that's not surprising. I'll counter that with, "I'm shocked by the pace," an alarming rate of change. It's both concerning and exciting.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, um, yeah, <laughs> with a young daughter, obviously, sometimes I do worry at what things could look like in the future. Maybe I shouldn't have watched Terminator or something like that. Uh, <laughs> kind of, you know, kind of scares you a little bit, but I think there's a lot of good. I would almost like to see on ChatGPT and Baird AI to, If they have some kind of meter where, you know, there gives you like probability of accuracy of information, 80% or 85%, depending on, you know, you're not, you're not a celebrity or anything. So maybe someone like you, they say, okay, well, this, the probability that this is accurate, is like 75, 80%, right? Right. That way, I think something like that. How much did it
0: have to reach into its language model to spit out something versus I grabbed this. And translated it from a source yeah. right here.
1: Yeah, because it almost feels like they maybe saw an ad on LinkedIn or something and they pulled the information and mismatched it with yours. I don't know. I'm trying to make
0: understand how it would have come up with that. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not really sure. I guess the here's the problem. No one is. You know, like that's yeah. that's that's where a lot of people have concern here mm-hmm. is It's such a black box. I think that they're already kind of getting in trouble for not being the most data friendly and privacy friendly, some of these large companies. And there's no sort of drilling in from here on the interface of how did you just make up that I'm a lead principal investor at Allianz in Germany? (laughs) (laughs) Where did that come from? It's just completely unknown and no one has an answer for it. So that's, like, like I said, I'm both excited and concerned for the alarming rate of change.
1: Yeah, and I, I use uh, ChatGBT and I'm planning on using a VPN to try bird, uh, bird AI as well, just to see how it looks like. But personally, I would... Always double check all the information. So I think that's really important for people to understand is if you're using it as a tool, um, use it as a tool, right? Um, I think something I learned in university is, you know, you could use Wikipedia, but I used Wikipedia more as a tool back then to, you know, get the sources from different subject, and then I'd read the actual paper that it would reference, and then it would help me doing uh, research papers at university. And that's almost how I would approach um, this AI right now, this uh, language model. How do you how do you call
0: it? Again? Large language model, LLM. Uh, yeah.
1: LLM. So that's how how I would approach it because, like you just said, it tends to hallucinate a little bit, and I think you're gonna see some pretty. Uh, awkward papers in university with kids uh, use, trying to use that and then it just kind of hallucinates like half of the paper and the teacher's like, okay, clearly you use some kind of AI product to do that.
0: Not to mention, since it's trained from like kind of de- a defined set of vectors and sources, the way it speaks and the way it it translates information and the way it creates documents is very noticeable by other AIs like there's AIs to detect that this was written by artificial (laughs) intelligence and a large language model and so those are really good at detecting that and so I think that that's uh it's like the equivalent of uh you know hey teacher you didn't check the homework (laughs) whoever made these tools are the equivalent of the kid who asked the teacher about the uh about checking the homework at class.
1: No, exactly. Uh, now, I mean, just because uh we'll move on to the last uh, last topic here, the last segment. And I was reading just some headlines this morning. I usually go through I have Apple News Plus and um I was reading that obviously Lowe's uh, came out with its earnings today and they were guiding lower for the rest of the year following essentially. Very similar kind of guidance that Home Depot did a couple of weeks ago. So without going over the full earnings here, I wanted to touch on this quickly. The numbers I'll be referencing are the midpoint, because uh, usually, obviously, with guidance, companies tend to give ranges. Now, both are saying that sales will be down this year. Uh Lowe's is saying around 2% while Home Depot around 2.5%. Lowe's said that it's adjusted earnings per share will be down 3%. Um, they didn't give the numbers that was not adjusted, so... Take this with a grain of salt. Home Depot said that its earnings per share will be down 10 percent. And I won't go into more detail than that. But, you know, one thing I wanted to point out, first of all, these companies are affected by commodity prices, for example, lumber. So as the prices come down for lumber, clearly it's going to affect the top line Um, in terms of, you know, earnings and profitability. Obviously, they've also seen some impact from inflation. They're not immune to that. But I think it's important to remember, I think we're starting to see here the lag effects of the rapid rate hikes that we've seen across the world for central banks, but you know, maybe more with Home Depot and Lowe's, thinking more of US and Canada here. And I would venture to say it's probably people that are pushing back non-essential home improvements because they either can't afford it can't qualify to get financing or even they're deciding to spend on other things because you know travel for example because you know they did a lot of home improvements during covid because might as well since money was really cheap uh, there was not much to do so you might as well improve your home so i think you're starting to uh, see this effect of higher rates and shifting customer behavior at least in the short to potentially medium term. I don't think, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom here because, you know, I feel like a lot of our (laughs) segments weren't the most positive today. Uh, I actually home Home Depot and I think it's not a bad opportunity to look at Home Depot and potentially buy it if you want to hold it for a very long period of time it's something i've been considering especially if the stock continues trading sideways or even downwards a bit more um clearly there will be some headwinds i think that's pretty clear in the short to medium term but if you're a long-term investor um it's actually could be a good opportunity to start a position or add to a position because they're very good businesses i don't know lows as well but typically, I mean, Lowe's and Home Depot are very close, right? They're the same kind of sector. So same, very similar type of businesses in terms of home improvement. So it's something I wanted to touch on just because I think we're starting to see the effects. But again, it can create a
0: good opportunity if you're a long-term investor. If only Lowe's smelled half as good as Home Depot does. No, you touched on an important point here, right? Which is like, None of this is investment advice, of course, but if you're trying to own a great business like Home Depot, you are trying to buy it when its opportunity in the short term and medium term is both uncertain and guided down. Like <laughs> It's so contrary to what the human brain wants to do, which is buy Home Depot and own Home Depot when the story is perfect and everything is wonderful. That instantly goes into the price of the stock. <laughs> like, Hence our NVIDIA conversation that we just had. It, it's, it's, it's a business like Home Depot that's really easy to recognize on that because it's just obviously great and obviously the leader. Uh, and Lowe's here, will will bucket it in. And just obviously a long-term term winner with a tremendous management team and just like really hard to be disrupted by the kind of e-commerce world, um, just given the nature of the products they sell. So... You want know, to you want to you wanna buy when there's blood on the streets and there's hardly blood on the streets here. But the the outlook is obviously worse than it was six months ago. And so that's kind of when long term investors should be getting excited and, and not running for the exit.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like clearly there's macro forces in play because if it was comp- company specific, they would not basically have the same guidance. (laughs) So I think that's uh, safe to say. And like you said, I think at this point, we would have seen, you know, a Walmart, Amazon, or, you know, name your other large retailer, uh, try to eat their market share. I think it's just too complicated to to try and disrupt a Home Depot or Lowe's. I think they have a really solid moat. I mean, you know, these competitors, I'm going to add Costco there as well, they... You know they obviously compete on some items with them, but you know I don't think we're going to see anytime soon lumber at Costco and you know at Walmart or you know get some lumber shipped from Amazon in the uh, one or two days. Footprint
0: alone is a huge,
1: exactly uh, hu- yeah. a
0: huge barrier. Like what Costco always has, like forty two hundred SKUs, no more, no less per location. Mm-hmm. It's like hyper optimized, like. Yeah, it, it, it's, you know, Walmart is now the everything, groceries and lumber, like. Yeah, exactly. Maybe, makes, but I don't see it happening, no.
1: The investment it would require would be ridiculous, even for those businesses. So I think, you know, I don't think these two businesses are going anywhere anywhere, anytime soon. Um, again, it could very well be go down in the next year or two from here, but you get a pretty nice dividend as long as you're patient and you know you think the outlook is positive longer term. Uh, obviously, you do your own due diligence. This is not investment advice. It's just my opinion, but um, I think it, it might be a good time to add soon enough.
0: It's funny, right? Like if you hear this and you're like, oh, you know, clearly these guys think that Home Depot is better value now today. And, and I whole wholeheartedly agree with that. But there with, you know, the outlook today, uh, the real softening in demand for home improvement, how much rates have impacted and how the real estate market has trended and probably going to trend for, I wouldn't even say the short term, like I would say medium term, you know, multi-year probably. Yeah, I think that's probably. Multi-year for here. So if you go buy Home Devo stock and you think today and you think that, you know, it's good value today, just know there's no real catalyst for this thing all of a sudden moving higher. And so you need to build expectations and re- uh, and, uh, you know, kind of a plan for a position if you're going to actually own it for a long time. Because if you buy Home Depot today, yeah, you're getting paid to wait. But there's no catalyst that I can see that moves this thing materially higher over the next three to five years. Um, and so just just kind of have these things in mind if you're actually long term to be actually long term. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, exactly.
1: I think the biggest catalyst will be, you know, at some point when interest rates start coming down so people can potentially tap in home equity uh, yeah. and start doing home improvements. And then the other one would be potential government subsidies or government programs to encourage people to do that. You know, extra unit, especially in Ontario, we're starting to see in the legislation with would remove pretty much all the single family home zoning but again that's one part right so people need to have money to be able to do that or credit to be able to do that the loans and so on um you know i think longer term there are some tailwinds but you know i wouldn't be surprised if home depot is down and lows as well a year from now that's you know that's a pretty pretty good chance in my opinion. Like you said, you have to have a long-term approach and the conviction. If you don't, you'll probably end up losing money on it because you'll buy it, it'll go
0: down, you'll panic, you'll sell, you'll
1: buy high, sell low. <laughs>
0: that's that's the investing philosophy of the ages. Yeah. You have to buy high and sell low. Thanks for listening so much to the podcast. We really appreciate Everyone tuning in. If you want to see us on video and sharing charts and our screen of all the things that we have on, that we're looking at, our notes, our research, that is on joinTCI.com. That is the Patreon, joinTCI.com. It is $9 Canadian per month. You get what I just mentioned with the video now, thanks to Simon, the video editor extraordinaire. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i'm not sure
1: i would qualify as that but I, you know i learned the basics and i'll Yay. be like you said i'll be adding uh every week maybe it'll actually be a little bit before the podcast actually comes out so it's kind of this little bonus for subscribers and you get mm. to see the charts and it's ad free so i mean that's the extra oh, yeah, bonus it's also ad free it is also yeah. ad free so uh you know there's you know, there's, it costs a little bit of money. So these are the the little, the perks associated with it. So sometimes you'll probably get it maybe a day or something in advance, but, um,
0: you know, it's there for our subscribers. There you go. And of course, you always get our monthly portfolio updates that we will have in exactly seven days from this recording. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in a few days. If you have not subscribed on your podcast player, I highly suggest you do that. Subscribe and rate five stars on your podcast player. It severely helps us out. And then when you're in a crunch, you're in the car and you're like, I need a podcast or you're like about to get on the the train or something. You're like, I need a podcast comes right into your podcast player because you're subscribed on your podcast player. So go ahead and do that. We'll see you in a few days. Take care. Bye-bye. The Canadian
1: Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.